Sometimes people refer to the Psalms with chapters. There are not actually any chapters in the book of Psalms. Each Psalm, the word Psalm means a song, okay? It was written to be sung or, or played. Uh, it's really the Old Testament hymn book for the nation of Israel. And so each Psalm is distinct from the other Psalms. It has a distinct message and distinct lesson. And so uh, we're going to look at Psalm 37 tonight. Personally, the book of Psalms has been something that I've been studying probably for the last three years in greater depth than any other time in my Christian life. And uh, certainly uh, in the last uh, few months, it's been a real blessing and a help to me. And I trust that this uh, lesson tonight, this message will help you. Psalm 37. Now, I'm not going to preach through the whole, whole psalm, 40 verses tonight. We'll just look about three or four verses but context is always important when you're studying the Scripture. And so let's look at the whole context and read the psalm uh, together. You follow along in your copy of God's Word. Verse 1, this is a psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy to slay, such as be, as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous for the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy, and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David says, I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. 
The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord, he is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them, and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked, and save them, because they trust in him. The message tonight comes basically from verses 3 through 7, and I've entitled it, What to Do When the Wicked Seem to Be Winning. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word tonight, Lord, we're reminded of the exhortation we heard just a few minutes ago, that that without you we can do nothing. Lord, whether it be the preacher preaching the word of God tonight, or your people hearing, we need the Spirit of God to administrate this time for it to be profitable for anything of eternal value. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me now as I preach and teach your word to be led of the Spirit, Lord, and empowered. I pray as well for those that hear, Lord, may they have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has said to the churches. And we know that's the word of God tonight. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to consider the the testimony of David tonight. And Father, that the people of God that we, though we could be easily distracted by all that is going on around us in this world, Paul wrote that, that evildoers would wax worse and worse, and at times it seems that the wicked are winning. And yet, Lord, help us to listen to your word tonight. And Lord, help us then to act as you would have us to act, and live as you would have us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes it seems like it doesn't pay to be the good guy. You know, to be the faithful Christian, uh, the faithful employee, the faithful husband, the faithful wife, the faithful committed godly church member. Sometimes it appears as if those that turn their back on God are better off than those that are living righteously. And Psalm 37 addresses the danger of that kind of human thinking. It is a psalm that contrasts two groups of people, as uh, we see many times in the Psalms and the book of Proverbs. The two groups of people are the righteous and the wicked. And Certainly we know that both of those kind of people operate in this world today, the righteous and the wicked. In fact, there have always been these two groups of people. And the mindset here that David is addressing Although we read this psalm this, this evening, it is as if David is living in our times and expressing our thoughts. The wicked are winning. Uh, godliness and righteousness is put down and pushed in the corner. You know, even through this, this season, we've seen, you know, uh, uh, the prince of this world and the God of this world seeking to oppress even the assembling of God's churches and, and the effect and the power of the gospel. And yet, yet all the, the, the wickedness in this world seems to just run with no restriction. And so when the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, you and I, if we're not careful, we can be tempted to doubt God. 
especially if you're the righteous. If we're not careful to cultivate a biblical perspective, you know, we can be tempted to say, you know, forget it, let's just join in with the evildoers. You know the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. And uh, we, might, we might smile at that and say, I would never do that. But listen, church history is full of people and believers who, who once stood for righteousness and truth and godliness and, and held on to the Word of God as, as their conviction, who then changed. And then now they're going right along with the world and the wickedness of this world. Even in recent days, you've seen uh, some popular, I don't... Uh, espouse them really but popular evangelicals have have changed their tune even uh, uh, leading musicians now claiming they no longer believe in God well can I just say they probably didn't believe in God in the first place they may have believed in God but they didn't know him personally but if we're not careful we can we can we can fall into the wrong thinking and David here uh, tells us in verse number 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Why would the Bible tell us, God's people, not to worry or become envious? Because that could be a temptation for us all, could it not? Because God knows that we could fret. Or that we could worry. Or that we could start thinking, you know what, is it really worth it to live as Titus 2.11 and 12 says, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We'll back off of that a little bit. No, this psalm encourages us that there is a distinction and there is a prophet. And so I've entitled the message, What to Do When the Wicked Seem to Be Winning. Now that's the important part. They seem to be winning. So David had been there. Just think of who, who wrote this. It's a psalm of David. David uh, had been anointed as, as king of Israel uh, by Samuel when he was yet a young man. Probably we would call him a teenager if we would. But he spent the better part of his 20s running from the ungodly king Saul whose sole purpose in life was to destroy David. To kill him, in fact. On several occasions, David did the righteous godly thing. In fact, he spared Saul's life on more than one occasion. My wife and I were blessed to go to Israel last year, and we were able to go there to the caves at En Gedi, and we saw there where David and, and, and where Saul you know, slept, and David spared his life and just you know, cut off a, 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 a portion of his, of his garment. We saw that. David often did the right thing, but it didn't seem that he was prospering. It, it seemed like the, the wicked were winning. David watched many, many nights as Saul would pursue him and David would flee and flee and flee and flee and, and hide and, and, and yet he would, he would watch as Saul would go back and return to his comfortable palace only to plot yet again the next endeavor to kill David. And David, where was he? He was out in the caves and in the desert hiding. It seemed like the wicked were winning. That's the man who writes this psalm. As he writes this psalm, David is now an older man. We see that in verse 25. David says, I have been young and now am old. <laughs> right? some, some of us could say that tonight, right? You're to that point in life. Well, the psalm reflects the wisdom that David had gleaned from now from years of walking with God. He had seen 
the, the wicked, and he had, he had lived the life of the righteous. So we're going to look at just a few principles in verses 3-7 through seven now tonight so that we can discern how we should respond when the wicked seem to be winning. And, you know, I love God's Word. I don't, I don't have to worry about what to preach on Sunday. God, already, God writes the message for me. I just have to deliver the message. But I love it when a passage really just lays out an outline right for you. You don't have to come up with the outline. Here it is tonight, verses 3 through 7. God tells us four things that, he, that, that the righteous should remember when the wicked seem to be winning. There are four things. Notice number one tonight, if you're taking notes. First of all, when the wicked seem to be winning, it's, we should trust in the Lord. Verse 3. When the wicked seem to be winning, we should trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Verse 5 says in, in verse 5, Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. The Him, of course, is Lord, Jehovah God there. All capitals. And so what's the first thing that, that, that David exhorts us to do when it seems that wicked are winning to trust in the Lord? Now it's such a familiar command, isn't it? You've heard it your whole life, ever since you were saved. Trust in the Lord. But what does that mean? And better yet, how should we apply that to our life? Well, it means to believe God enough to act on His Word. That's what biblical faith is. You believe God enough to act on His Word. You trust in the Lord. Notice it says there, trust in the Lord. What are the next uh, three words? And do good. Right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Or do what's right. And even if it seems that the wicked are winning, you trust the Lord and, and you do what's right. My children are often exhorted by their mother. Uh, sometimes she doesn't, she doesn't necessarily quote a Bible verse to them, but she sings these little biblical songs to them, you know, when something's going on. Uh, but one of the songs that she's taught is, Do right till the stars fall, do right till the last call. Do right when there's no one else to stand by you. Do right. And that's what God tells us. If we really trust the Lord, we'll keep on doing what's right. Trust in the Lord and do good. And do good. And if you don't keep on obeying, if you stop doing good or you stop acting in faith, you stop walking in accordance with God's Word by faith, in the temporal sense, the wicked are winning then. Because the wicked are never going to live righteously. They're never going to do good. God puts that upon us. And if we trust the Lord, we'll do what's right. Doing good or practicing righteousness involves believing God and His sovereign eternal purposes and plans and promises to the point where your obedience is not dependent upon what others are doing. You're doing right because of who God is. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. You're convinced of the character of the One that you're trusting in. That He is worthy of the practice of obedience now. Because in your heart, you know that the wicked, the wicked don't really win. Yes, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. Can I tell you? But there is profit in obedience that lasts for eternity. And so, trust in the Lord. And it is more than just this, this theoretical, mystical faith. 
By the way, faith in faith is not Bible faith. Faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Do you know this world of people who have faith? They have all kinds of faith. It's biblical faith. And what is the object of biblical faith? It's the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Can I tell you, I hope tonight your trust is not in a politician of any party. It should be in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And keep on doing what's right. It's more than just biblical faith. It is faith in the Lord, Jehovah God. It is faith that is based on a biblical understanding of God who is worthy of our faith and our belief and our dependence. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You can quote it with me tonight, I'm sure. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Psalm 115, verse 11 says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Far too often, our trust is in men. And you know what happens when you trust in a man? They fail you. You don't have to raise your hand tonight. Because <laughs> I know it's everyone in this room where some man has failed you. By the way, you ought, you ought to pray for your preacher. You ought to support him. You ought, you ought to do everything. And in, and in a certain sense, you ought to trust him to lead the church. But your trust ultimately needs to be in the Lord. Because guess what? Preachers will fail you. And don't even, you know, uh, you should, and again, on, on one level, you should trust your spouse and, and trust your family. But you know what? They're going to fail you. Ultimately, our faith has to be in God because he never fails, right? It's another great old hymn, Jesus never fails. And so our trust must be in the Lord. Men will fail us. And you know what happens if we're trusting in men? Then we'll get bitter and we'll blame God. And you know what? We'll buy into the lie that the wicked are winning. Some man failed me. So now I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to stop doing good. I'm going to stop trusting in the Lord. Christian, in the time of trouble, it is time to trust the Lord. You're here tonight. I, I, I trust that that's an indication that you are trusting the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And in the time of trouble, David here says, When the wicked seem to be winning, it's time to trust the Lord and do what's right. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. No other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Notice the promises of God, verse number 3. Trust in the Lord, and verily thou shalt be fed. Verily means it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's truth. Thou shalt be fed. Truly or absolutely, this will take place because when you trust in God, you can be confident that He'll care for you. Because God always blesses obedience. And there is true satisfaction in doing what's right, even when the majority are doing what's wrong. Trusting God. Notice number two, when the wicked seem to be winning, we trust in the Lord. Secondly, look at verse four now. When the wicked seem to be winning, it's time to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Notice what it says, verse number four. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight. Delight. 
In verse uh, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. To delight here means to become a giddy almost in action because you're motivated in your spirit by your love for God. Delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Hey, if the Lord has become boring to you, you need revival. If the things of God do, do not delight you, if anything in your life delights you more than the Lord and the things of God, you need revival. If you're more excited about the things of this world, listen, there are a lot of churches, I, I don't know how things played out in South Dakota, I think you're a pretty conservative area here, and, uh, but there are a lot of, lot of churches that were restricted and, and a lot of a lot of believers, you know, for six or eight weeks now, been been not able to gather or couldn't gather, or their church made you know schedule changes. I wonder how many how many Christians just kind of got used to not assembling. You know, it really this this time is was a revealing for God's people. Do you delight in the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Now more than ever, in these last days before the Lord returns, we ought, to, we ought to delight in the Lord, in the things of God. An illustration of this word, what it means to delight, it, it's, it, a, an illustration would be like when a young woman gets engaged and then she tells everyone about it after she gets engaged. Now, I know today it's a little bit different in this generation. You know, people get engaged and two seconds later it's, all over, you know, the internet, Facebook and all that. That's how they tell their friends. But it used to be that you would tell people in person. You would communicate in person. Uh, and uh, this is kind of how it goes. The young man, he proposes down on one knee. He pulls out a ring and, you know, and uh, after he's got dad's approval, amen, okay, and <laughs> does it God's way. And uh, she says yes. And then what happens? For the next three weeks, she walks around like this. I mean, everywhere she goes, this is what she does. Her arm is permanently extended. And everyone she, she, she engages, what does she do? She's telling them what? Hey, I, I'm engaged to be married. I'm going to be married. She's happy about it. And if she's not happy about it, something's wrong. <laughs> No, that's what the Bible tells us. It's what meaning here when we delight in the Lord. Is that how you feel about God and the Lord? Your walk with God? One of the, the, the main ways that the world, the flesh and the devil, they destroy and they distract and they discourage believers is to steal their joy by deceiving them into focusing on the works of the wicked rather than on the loving kindness of the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. God's people today, they delight in all kinds of things. Sports teams, cars, computers, gadgets, houses, games. Christians get all worked up with excitement and joy over all kinds of things that are temporal and carnal and some are even worldly. And yet, they barely can rejoice in the Lord. Barely. Something's wrong. We need to delight in the Lord. And, and, and it's a lie of the devil that there's no joy in serving Jesus. 
to lie the devil. In fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when, when, and when Satan was uh, talking with Eve and trying to convince her that God had somehow uh, restricted her, her and Adam from something that was good. You can't eat of every tree as if God was withholding back something good. That's a lie of the devil. There is no delight in, uh, the devil says, there is no delight in righteous obedience by faith. And David says here, don't believe that lie. Instead, choose when the wicked seem to be winning. Trust in the Lord and delight in the Lord. Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Do you get that? No good thing. Look, tonight, if you're not delighting in the Lord, do this. Go back to the day that you got saved in your, in your heart and in your mind. Go back to the day that you got saved. And you remember the joy of just knowing your sins are forgiven. Oh, and you're right before God and that you have eternal life and that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Listen, if you don't have a time to go back, then tonight you need to be saved. Boy, get saved. Don't, don't play games with God. These are the last days. These are the last days. You need to know that you know that you know that you're saved. And by the way, does God know that you're saved? Jesus said this, John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He would say in Matthew, Matthew, the book of Matthew there in the early chapters, he said, some would say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful things in, in your name? And Jesus would say, depart from me, me, what? I never knew you. Does the Lord know you tonight? If the Lord knows you, you should be able to go back in your heart and your mind. I'm not saying a date. You might necessarily remember the date, but the event. Salvation is not a process. It's an event. Jesus said you must be born again. When you were born the first time, that was an event. Just ask your mom. <laughs> it was an event. Salvation is an event. We go back, but, but the joy. Now listen, you can't forget some of that. David had to pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. But go back and remember how happy you were to know the Lord, to call upon Him as your God. And this is important because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm 43, verse 4, Then while I go unto the altar of, of God, unto, my, unto, unto God my exceeding joy, He says, Yea, upon the harp will I praise Thee, O God, my God. Psalm 104, 34, My meditation of Him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Peter writes to the New Testament believer, 1 Peter 1, 8, whom, not, whom having not seen, ye love, speaking of Christ, in whom now ye see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, delighting in the Lord. Notice number three, when the wicked seem to be winning. Number three tonight, we trust in the Lord. Number two, delight in the Lord. Look at verse five. Commit thy way to the Lord. When the wicked seem to be winning, David says, just commit yourself to God. Commit your life to God. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Verse 5. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Here's the third thing. The word translated commit here has the idea of rolling over or casting upon. David is saying, cast your way or your way of life onto the Lord and let Him 
direct your paths. Who's sitting? You know, I hope you don't have that, that bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. He shouldn't be your co-pilot. He should be your pilot. Right? He's the one who should direct our paths. And so this means we do not hold on to our life as if it were our own. Boy, God's teaching me that a lot lately. We need to be careful even as God's people. We get our plans. We got everything planned. And then all of a sudden, the Lord reminds us how all of that can just go away. I wonder how many people's life, all their plans and dreams and hopes were in the stock market. You know what the stock market does? Boy, we need to be committed to God. Committed. That's almost that's almost that's a, that's a word at times that Christians today struggle with commitment. Just to be sold out to God, committed to put everything. It's an old song, but it's still true. Is your all on the altar? Romans twelve one. Is it all on the altar? Can you sing? I surrender all. Commit thy way unto the Lord. We roll off to God every decision and every step and every burden. We commit our way into the Lord. We commit our trust and obedience. We commit our lives to the safekeeping of God. Is your life committed to Christ tonight? See, if you're, listen, it needs to be a non-negotiable in your life that you are committed to Christ. Because that's what discipleship is. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That means commitment. Put it all. Just, it's all turned over to you, Lord. Commit thy way unto the Lord. If you're not, you're going to be tempted to join the wicked, to fall away, to, to give up serving God. Commit yourself to the Lord. Commit thy way unto the Lord. 1 Peter 4, verse 19 says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit, now listen, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. The closer to the Lord's return, the more and the more committed we ought to be to Christ. You see, comparatively in church history, we've had it pretty easy. Amen. We've had it pretty easy. But what was it that allowed believers to be burned at the stake and even in their last breaths as the flames engulfed them to speak with peace and joy and even to be speaking of Christ? Not crying out, make it stop. What makes that possible? That's the grace that God gives to those who are committed. Are you committed tonight? Have you committed your way into the Lord? Notice that in verses 5 and 6 that commitment means that you leave things in God's hands. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. You commit things to God. You just commit it to God. We all know the verse, you know, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Psalm says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. 
Do you know when the Bible says casting your, all your care upon Him? There are two different words that could be used for casting. One would be like the idea. How many are fishermen tonight? Anybody in here like to fish? Okay. All right. Your neighbor's a fisherman. I saw him. He brought fish before church tonight. When you, when you go fishing, you take the rod and you cast. Right? But then what do you do in a few minutes? You reel it back in, don't you? That is not the word Peter uses when he says, casting all your care upon him. Instead of, instead of throwing it like a fishing rod, when you were younger, you ever take a stone on a, on a lake and try to see how far you could skip it? And you cast the stone. You'd see it. But you know what? When you cast it, you do what? You let it go. You don't run out there unless you're crazy. <laughs> you don't run out there in the middle of the lake and dive down in and get it and bring it back on shore and do it again. No, you let it go. That is what God's saying when he says, commit your way into the Lord. My life belongs to you, Lord. This trial, this burden, mm, I want to take my burden to the Lord and not leave it there. Bring it back. No. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Leave in God's hands. Trust in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. The Lord will take care of it. Here's the last thing. We're done tonight. Number four, we commit thy way to the Lord when the wicked seem to be winning. Number four, we rest in the Lord. We rest in the Lord. Notice verse seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. And so the first part of the verse tells us what we should do. And the second part of the verse tells us what we should not do. Can I tell you, we can't do both at the same time. I've tried. You probably tried. You can't rest in the Lord and fret because of evildoers. You can't. You can't do them both at the same time. We have to choose. Resting in the Lord really is the result of obeying those first three commands. Trusting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, committing thy way to the Lord, and then we can rest in the Lord. And David here is saying, rest in the Lord, He'll become your refuge. And there you simply sit at His feet and you wait for Him to deliver you. The Psalms often repeat this message. You know the hardest thing to do? It just wait on God and rest. It's very hard to do. Can I share it with you a secret? It's hard for preachers to do. Oh, sometimes we would just like to, oh, we just, hmm. Okay, Lord, just rest in you. We want to we want to say with our mouth that we've committed it and now we're resting, but with our life we try to manipulate and do things and accomplish things. That's not resting in the Lord. It's easier said than done. Psalm sixty two, the first eight verses, we don't have time to turn there, but they lay out a, a pattern for resting in the Lord. Jesus, of course, He taught us that the world sees uh, 
the world seems following him as labor and bondage being a Christian. But Jesus said this, he said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 28. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Of course, the yoke, we know the picture of the yoke, the two animals in the yoke. And Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. It's easy, the burden is light. Why? Because when you get in the yoke with the Lord, here's the great thing. He does all the work and you can rest. He carries the whole burden. Our problem is we, we like to get back out of the oak. Kind of go back to trying to accomplish it or fix it ourselves. And the Lord says, hey, when, when, it, when the wicked seem to be winning, David knew it. Now, David was not a perfect man. We know that from the Scriptures. But he was a man after God's own heart. And as he writes here, he's writing to us to see the contrast. In this world, yes, it seems as if the wicked prosper. It seems as if the righteous suffer. But to keep our, our mind where it ought to be and to keep our life what it ought to be, Here's what we do. We trust in the Lord. We delight in the Lord. We commit our way into the Lord. And then we just rest in the Lord. May God help us to do that tonight. Let's pray. Pastor, would you come and close?